Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and the many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what did what is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as these performed by his hands. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. And he could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I just want to look at that one last line that we see there. And he wondered at their unbelief. You, The Bible doesn't say that Jesus wondered or was astonished or was amazed, except for two times uh, here and on the occasion when he was amazed at the faith of a centurion. And these uh, accounts are both recorded in Matthew and Luke. Now, the Bible tells us that the people were constantly amazed at him. They were astonished at him, but only Two times is he amazed at people. Once with a centurion, he was amazed at his faith. And then he is amazed here at the unbelief in his own hometown. Now, we think and we know that faith is powerful, don't we? Just before this account, we see two Beautiful examples of uh, what faith is like and what faith can accomplish. First of all, we see Jairus, whose little 12-year-old daughter is so ill, and he hears about Jesus, he goes to find Jesus, and he's bringing Jesus to heal his little girl. And while he's on the way, this woman who had had an issue of blood, who had been ill for 12 years, and as we read in other accounts, had spent all her money trying to get well. She thought, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'd be made whole. If I could just come into contact with him physically, I'd be made whole. And so as Jerry Jesus is on his way to Jairus's house, this woman works her way through the crowd and she touches his garment and he stops and says, who touched me? And Peter looks around. He says, master, you're being thronged by people. Look around at people and you say, who touched me? But see, it was a touch of faith. He sensed the power going out from him as someone reached out to him and touched him in faith. And instantly she was healed. And uh, the thing is, is that uh, then she fesses up and he says, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Beautiful depictions 
of faith. He goes on and they come out and they tell him, girl's already dead. You might as well go home. She says, no, no, she's only sleeping. And he raises her from the dead. I mean, incredible things happening here. Things that seemed impossible. This woman, she tried everything. Jairus, there was no hope. And yet he made a way. The Lord did things that other people couldn't. And everybody knew about all of this. Word of mouth was getting it all around. And yet he comes to his hometown and something happens. And what we see here helps us to really wrestle with the power of unbelief. We can see what faith can do, but unbelief is a powerful force as well. Yes, faith is a powerful thing, but I want us to understand that unbelief is powerful as well. Unbelief is a terrifying force. The power of unbelief is so great that it reaches through all eternity. It has massive force. For example, Eve exercised unbelief in the garden. Uh, well, I'll add Adam in there too. He did it with her. Okay, I'm not going to just let a woman take the blame for this. But So Adam and Eve, they exercised unbelief in what God said. They chose not to believe what he had told them. And because of that, humankind has wound up under a curse of eternal judgment. In the days of Noah, Noah was a preacher of righteousness, the Bible tells us, warning the world of the flood to come. And the world would not believe. And uh, the world of unbelievers was brought down uh, in a flood. They brought down a flood upon themselves and that drowned all of humanity without or with the exception of Noah and his three sons and their wives and his own wife. You see, unbelief caused the destruction of the whole human race and all the creatures and all of life living on earth except what was gathered into the boat. Now then, just kind of a little side note on unbelief and belief. The flood story uh, winds up being a point of either inspiration and belief or an opportunity to express unbelief, either belief or unbelief. To me, two different things. Number one, and I've shared this with a lot of you before, geneticists have finally traced back the fact that all of us are at least distant cousins that all of us can be traced back to one woman that lives somewhere in the Middle East. And this one woman is the great, great, multiple greats grandmother of us all. We share this one woman as our point of origin. Now, the amazing thing is, it's clear to the geneticists that there were other contemporaries. There were other women around at that time, and somehow their lines just all died out. And it's a great mystery to them what happened to, the, to all the other people. But they go back and they point to her, 
and they call her Eve, the scientists do. It makes perfect sense if you'll call her Mrs. Noah, don't you think? I mean, look what happened. Yeah, she had contemporaries, but every one of us is a descendant from Mrs. Noah. All the rest of them died out because of unbelief. And yet people want to say, oh, there was never a flood, you know, and yet and then one of the reasons they'll give us is if you'll look, you'll see nearly every old culture has a flood story. The Jews just stole that story from somebody else. Yeah, sure they did. Every other civilization that's been around has a flood story. Preceding the history of the Jews, there was a flood story. Even in South America, the Indians some of them refer to the monkeys in the trees as their brothers and sisters that wound up climbing up there in the trees during the flood. But they even South America Indians have a flood story. If you really look at the preponderance of evidence, it's not that this is just a popular myth. It is establishing history that the whole of humankind all agrees on. There was a flood. It confirms the Bible story. It doesn't discount it at all. And yet people will use the flood story as a point of unbelief. And logically, that makes no sense at all. So then that tells us something about the heart of unbelief, doesn't it? Unbelief has cost so much it was unbelief on the part of Israel in the wilderness that caused that whole generation to die out there in the wilderness and not being able to enter in the promised land. And the story of Israel's ongoing unbelief, even after they entered uh, the land of Canaan, is clear for all of us to read in the Old Testament. They were judged again and again by God for their apostasy for their unbelief, being a little uh, more individual and zeroing in just a little bit on the power of unbelief. We remember Aaron's unbelief that led to 3,000 people being slaughtered. And we remember that uh, Moses' unbelief kept him out of the promised land. And we remember that Achan's unbelief resulting in his disobedience brought about the execution of himself and his entire family. And you might remember Sennacherib's uh, unbelief, the Gentile king, and his unbelief led to his assassination by his own sons after an angel of the Lord had massacred 185,000 of his troops. And of course, there's the unbelief of Judas, which led to his suicide and his everlasting punishment. The Pharisees and the scribes were unbelievers uh, to the very end, with few exceptions. And like all other unbelievers, their unbelief resulted in them dying in their sins, forfeiting heaven, and gaining hell. The New Testament has a lot to say about faith, doesn't it? It has a lot to say about believing. Uh, but it also has an awful lot to say equally about unbelief. 
Listen to these words, familiar words from John 3.16, but let's listen to the whole thing that Jesus said there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe is judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. It was unbelief that brought a curse onto humanity. It was unbelief that broke up the fountains of the deep and brought down the rain from heaven uh, and drowned the entire human race. And it is unbelief in the Son of God that catapults people into eternal hell. Unbelief activates divine wrath. Unbelief activates divine judgment. Unbelief is a powerful force. And let's face it, this is what we need to grasp. It is passed on to those around us so easily. An unbelieving preacher or teacher can do eternal harm to so many. The people who hear their words and the people who uh, hear those words and pass them on to others. And so it has a ripple effect. And so can unbelieving parents and relatives and friends. It's so dangerous and yet it passes on so quickly and it affects so many. Now, the biggest question that arose in my heart as I read this passage this past week was, why could not the people of Israel believe? I mean, not, not Israel, but Nazareth, Jesus' hometown. Why couldn't they believe? Why was their rejection so strong that it says they took offense at him? They got mad at him. They couldn't, they, they just, they, they didn't, they rejected him and his words. And uh, the answer, as we look at this, is pretty clear. They thought they knew who he was, and they really didn't. They didn't know who Jesus really was. They'd look at him and think, this is that kid that grew up right over there. Uh, what could a carpenter know? Why should I listen to him? And the thing is, you know, it says familiar, familiarity breeds contempt. That's only partially true. Just think about it. There's some people, the more you get to know them, the more you love them. Uh, you know, there's an old song about that. You know, to know him is to love him. Uh, anyway, and it's the way with Jesus. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Every day with Jesus, I love him more and more. You see, it doesn't necessarily breed contempt. It can breed and bring about love. Now, uh, Philip Brooks points out the truth lacking in this well-known phrase, familiarity breeds contempt, by adding two extra thoughts. 
So this is the way that Philip Brooks says it. Familiarity breeds contempt only with contemptible things or among contemptible people. Now that changes it up. That adds the truth. The people of Nazareth, you see, didn't reject Jesus simply because they were familiar with him. They, if they, you can look at someone and you can know their past, their tawdry past, and glorify God for the great transformation and change in their lives and rejoice over someone that you've known since they were little. But that's not what happened here. They refused to believe him because they were contemptible people ruled by unbelief. Their familiarity with him only served as a crutch they comfortably rested upon in unbelief. I love what C.H. Spurgeon says. He says, we often talk of unbelief as if it were an affliction to be pitied instead of a crime to be condemned. Now, Henry Drummond's words add to that. He says, Christ never failed to distinguish between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is, I can't believe. Unbelief is, I refuse to believe. I won't believe. Do you see the difference? Doubt is honesty. Unbelief is obstinacy. There's a big difference. In unbelief, you recoil and you, you get angry and you, you get defensive uh, and you get frustrated because people are trying to tell you the truth. And yet doubt can be an honest seeker, someone who wants to know the truth, but they're just having a hard time with it. There's a big difference. Doubt is looking for light. Unbelief is contentment with darkness. As I ask myself this question and ask the Lord this question, why could they not believe and looked at the answer presented that I've just shared with you, it dawned on me. The people in Nazareth couldn't receive anything from Jesus because they just thought they knew who he was. They just thought they knew who he was. Their hearts and their minds were filled with presumptions, with presuppositions and conclusions that were all totally wrong. Like the old spiritual says, we didn't know who you was. Now, the thing is, they didn't want to know who he was. They didn't know who he was because they'd already made up their minds who he was, and they refused to look at the evidence and uh, to uh, uh to come on into, into the kingdom. They saw, they acknowledged, they saw the wisdom of what he was saying. They saw miracles and they were, they were just, what, where does he get all this stuff from? It's not that they didn't see that he was special, that he was doing extraordinary things, but they knew who he was. And there's nothing good could come from him because he's that, that, that. You know, they just had this whole deal. And so, the thing is, 
they missed out on so much in life and they caused others to miss out too. But their missing out should be a beacon to us to not miss out because we can see who he is. And if you have doubts, go to the Lord with them. He'll help you with them. He'll help you to do what you can't do on your own. I can attest to that. If you're honest in your doubt, he has answers to every question. So, but the thing is, uh, let's make sure as we enter into 2022 that we examine our hearts. And I pray that all of us will just take time to set aside any presuppositions, any assumptions and presumptions about the Lord so that we can see him for who he really is. Because the church is full of people who know about him. And some of them don't know anything about him at all. They're filled with misinformation and they're passing that misinformation on to other people. And that misinformation is having eternal consequences. So let's make sure that we are getting to know him and not just about him. This is the first time I've gotten to speak to you in 2022. And this is my hope for each one of you in 2022, that you will start setting aside your unbelief so that your faith can shine through. And we'll talk more about that next week. But as you, if you look at these two examples of faith we've already mentioned, uh, we can see that really life with Jesus, a life of faith, is pretty simple. It's not all that complicated. Uh, these two people, Jairus and the woman who had been sick for 12 years, they heard about him, they believed in him, and uh, they came to him. They didn't do a whole lot of studying. Sometimes I think you can study yourself out of the kingdom. You can know all this historical stuff. You can know all these little bitty innuendos and, and you can argue religion with people all day and be just as lost as who knows what. But getting to know him and coming into the kingdom is so simple. I love the, for the kiss phrase, and this is what it takes. You know, keep it simple, stupid. You know, I was going to be giving you all a whole bunch of stuff today about how to get rid of your unbelief. And, all this and the Lord just said, keep it simple. And so in order to do so, uh, notice they didn't do a lot of studying. They heard about him and they came to him in faith. Jesus said it like this, as we read in Matthew 18, verses one through three. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you're converted and become like little children, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. 
He's telling you how you, uh, it says, unless you do this, which means that if you do want to enter the kingdom of heaven, be converted. That means to, it comes from a word which means to turn it all the way around. Go, just go another direction. Quit looking at what the world's saying about Jesus and start looking at what he says, listening to him. Understand what he's saying about himself. Understand what the heavenly father is saying about him. Understand what true believers are saying about him and not these teachers that just tickle your ears. Understand, start trying to seek him out. John Wesley says this about uh, entering into the entering as a child. He says, except ye be converted, the first step toward entering into the kingdom of grace is to become as little children, lowly in heart, knowing yourselves utterly ignorant and helpless, hanging wholly on your Father who is in heaven for supply of all your wants. We may further assert, though it is doubtful whether this text implies so much, except he be turned from darkness to light. See, that's the conversion turning from darkness, not wanting to stay in the darkness, but wanting to get out of the darkness and into the light, except ye be turned from the darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, except ye be entirely inwardly changed, renewed in the image of God, ye cannot enter into the kingdom of glory. Thus must every man be converted in this life or he can never enter into life eternal. Ye shall in no wise enter, so far from being great in it. And then he refers to Matthew 19, 14. And in Matthew 19, 14, we read these words. But Jesus said, let the children alone and do not hinder them from coming to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Children look at life simply, don't they? It's not complicated. You don't have to become a theologian to be a Christian. You just have to be a follower of the real Jesus, not just what you've heard about him that may be wrong. Steve Shogren is a minister that uh, has, uh, uh, I've just watched him just, just bloom in his ministry when I first heard him many, many years ago, uh, he was pastoring a, a large church at that time in Cincinnati. Since that time, his uh, uh, ministry has blossomed into a, uh, a worldwide ministry. He's referred to sometimes as the godfather of servant evangelism. He was the first one I heard of that was really he would get his people to go out and do things like uh, go and knock on doors in the neighborhood and give people toilet paper. I mean, that'd be a good ministry nowadays with all these shortages going on. Uh, they'd go knock on doors and offer to change light bulbs because some people can't nowadays can't change light bulbs and they'd bring the light bulbs to change. Uh, they would do free car washes and everybody sees the free car washes. They think, well, you know, yeah, they're just doing that to get us to give them money. But they refuse to take money. In fact, I just laughed last night to myself as I saw 
They've gotten out where they're doing dollar car washes. But the flip side, the flip of that is they give you a dollar for the privilege to share Jesus' love by washing your car. I love that. I love that. So people it draws them in. A dollar car wash, cool. But when they're handed a dollar, that's that just blows their mind. Because you don't get something for nothing. And yet here people are sharing the love of Jesus in simple ways with people. Well, I got to hear him just as he was starting out on that. And uh, anyway, I want to a great guy. That's all I can say about that. But one of the stories that he shared when I first ran across him was uh, the fact they were doing a free car wash that was really free. And this guy came and uh, he, uh, he he pulled over and, and he was trying to give him like $20 for washing his car and they they didn't want his money. And this this bothered him. Said, you, 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 "You're a church. You got to need money. You give, you know." And so says, "No, we're just doing this to share the love of Jesus with people. We don't want your money. We just want you to know that Jesus loves you. We're doing this to let you know that Jesus cares about you. This is what grace is like. It doesn't cost you a thing." It's just something that you can receive. And he was having a, finally he left and he came back with a case of bottles of water. He said, if nothing else, you guys can use some water. You know, he just had to give them something. And he just was blown by the love of these people. And so he said, he was talking, he was talking to, uh, to Steve Shogren and, uh, he said, you know, you people are different. This is so different. And I love it. My daughter and I, I had a teenage daughter. He said, my daughter and I, he's a single parent dad. My daughter and I have been reading the Bible together and we're really drawn to Christianity. We're drawn to Jesus. We didn't grow up. Neither I didn't raise her in a Christian home. And I wasn't raised in a Christian home, but we have just been just pulled to Jesus and would you mind if we if we came to your church sometimes said no we'd love to have you and you know what we have Bible studies for 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 you and for your daughter and we would love for you to just come and worship together with us and and he said but I really want to be a Christian and so that's wonderful and so then he said no isn't there some sort of a prayer that I'm supposed to pray in order to be a Christian? Isn't there, 